All right, so you guys are going to hear traffic because I'm outside. I'm below the road, but I'm near the road, so not under the road, not like in an underpass or under a bridge or anything. I'm not living there yet. Things are still going okay, so I don't need to live under any kind of a bridge, but there's a road next to me just above me, so I think that makes the traffic louder. I don't know. Anyways, uh, there there is something worthy of discussing in a podcast. And, it, you know, I, I have to admit, I find it kind of entertaining. Uh, the overall demonization of everything Boston Bruins, and it's it's amazing to me because I see it a lot. Like, the Bruins get away with so much. Well, really, they were the, one of the most penalized teams in the league. Brad Marchand does everything, doesn't get penalized. And then I pointed out in recent games how many penalties he took, where he took roughly half the penalties that the Boston Bruins got. Uh, people get all upset about the punch on Harrington, which was, it's a rabbit punch. It happens. And if, if it was Johansson that did it, or if it was... If, if it was Columbus that did it, I don't think anybody would have paid any attention, although it would have been new, newsworthy if one of Harrington's own guys had rabbit-punched him. But it's it's weird to me because there's this, this narrative people have out there. And, and the reason that I think it's interesting, and I, I find it entertaining, is because, um, you know, over the water cooler over the last 20 years, this is a conversation we've had about every single team that wins regularly. Um, I remember having this conversation about the Penguins. I remember on the channel back three years ago. Um, all the Penguins are getting away with murder out there. The Penguins, they get all the calls. The Penguins, that goal shouldn't have counted. Well, this goal should have counted, but it's the Penguins, so it didn't. Why is it every time that Matt Murray falls down that there's there's a whistle, but every time the other goalie falls down, there isn't? Like, And it, it, it is a narrative that it's very easy to pick up on if you're looking for it. And I think there are people that are looking for it. The Boston Bruins in general are not a dirty team. And I, I say this knowing that Brad Marchand plays for the Bruins and knowing that me being a Bruins fan means people won't take me seriously. They're just going to say, Shannon's a Bruins fan, he's not going to admit it. Um, meanwhile, I was fully in agreement that the 2011 Vancouver Canucks were a horrible team. Uh, a lot of dirty tactics, a lot of uh, players that were put nicely jerks and deserved every bit of the ridicule and disdain that they got from other hockey fans. I have no problem saying that that team with Burroughs, Lapierre, and, and Kessler, and, and Bieksa, and everybody else, that I understood why fans hated them. This was a team that just numerous times during a game would be like, oh, don't do that crap. Oh, here we go. Damn it. And it, it made it worse because, you know, these guys would do things and then other teams would go after the Sedins because the Sedins were the obvious target. Because if you shut them down, then the Canucks didn't have a whole lot going unless Kessler was in beast mode, which he was against the Nashville Predators in 2011. The Bruins were out hit in round one by Toronto. They were out hit in round two by Columbus. They were out hit badly by Columbus. Columbus was flattening them constantly. And then I look online and I'm like, man, but, you know, listening to people talk, Bruins apparently hit everything that moves and, and they're they're dirty about it too. I, I've, I've watched dirty hitters over the years and, and I have to say that, yes, Marchand had a couple of, of piss-poor games against Columbus where he was off of it, but here's the funny thing. 
They lost those games. When Brad Marchand is playing that way and he's making everybody angry, it means the Bruins are losing. When they're winning, he generally stays away from that stuff. And I remember the Komarov looking, I, I know. But, you know, I, I do my best each year to say, you know what, it's a new year and I'm going to approach this with, with a fresh outlook on things. And I think where I learned that is Matt Cook. Now, stay with me on this. Matt Cook did a lot of really bad crap over his career. Uh, the hit on Mark Savard being the absolute worst. I'm not going to state that that wasn't an egregious, horrible hit worthy of every amount of disdain that fans have towards him, past and present. But Matt Cook at some point saw that he had to clean up his game, and he did. And he cleaned it up for a very long time. I want to say five years, about five years he had where he was clean. And then... He is involved in an incident which could have been viewed as an accident or or uh, potentially looking like it was uh, suspendable. And because it's Matt Cook, we all lean towards suspension. Brad Marchand this year came out and he played different. 100-point season. Um, genuine superstar player. In the playoffs, I've seen some of that. Not as much as I'd like, and I've seen too much of the other part of his game. But what I find interesting is that Zdeno Chara takes a lot of flack from fans online, too. I, I think what hurts Chara's case is he's so much bigger than everybody else. So it really, it's really obvious. If Colton Pareko delivers a punch, he's six foot four. He's roughly the same size as most of the other players. They can at least look him in the eye. Zdeno Chara is six foot nine. The optics look bad when Chara throws a punch. So it could be the exact same punch thrown by Chara as by Pareko. But one is seen as a good, tough play, keeping you honest. And the other one is, what a bully. What a meanie. What a horrible guy he is. And it, it, it's it's one of those things that I, I've, I've been paying attention to during the playoffs. And I, I don't really get it because I remember complaining about Chicago with Dirty Tactics back when they were winning Stanley Cups I remember complaining about Detroit when they were winning Stanley Cups and what I thought was some some uh, dirty play, I remember I remember railing against Chelios, Chelios was the guy that I couldn't stand him uh, and I remember, and this is almost 20 years ago, you know having almost that opinion of, oh somebody goes out there and hurts him because the way he's playing but he's a Hall of Famer, and Detroit was winning, and Detroit was usually beating teams that I was cheering for, and again, and and so I, I look at that, and I look at that opinion I had, and I look at the way it is now, and I can I can understand people being upset with teams that are, are performing well or perceived as having tremendous success, but it's funny because the Bruins have won one one Stanley Cup since 1972. They've proven time and time and time again that they have a, a mental block with Montreal. For every one time they beat Montreal, it feels like there's eight times Montreal knocks them out. Uh, they have been favorites to win uh, in the past and blown it badly. They were a President's Trophy winner that blew it. And so I, I don't see the league bias in their favor. Like, for instance, McAvoy. McAvoy gets a game, and, and Brian Burke explained it well, that... 
one game in the playoffs is the equivalent of three to five games during the regular season, depending on the round you're in. And in the Stanley Cup final, it's, it's even more important. So for people who say, well, McAvoy only got a game that should have been three or five, well, not during the playoffs, because each game is so vitally important. You can only afford to lose four, and you're out. So if you, you take him out for three games, and he's a vitally important part of the team, you're basically saying the team could be eliminated from the playoffs because of that one play. Um, and, and that one game is important. If Carolina goes in and in game one tomorrow night and they get a victory based on the fact that, that Boston doesn't have one of their best defensemen on the ice in McAvoy, that's huge. That means that Carolina stole home ice again. And they're in good position to win as long as they can win games three and four at home. They don't even need to worry about game two. Uh, and, and for Boston, a team that won in seven in the first round, won in six in the second round, yeah, the dividing line between winning and losing is really, really thin right there. Uh, and I, I, that's something that I've noticed in the playoffs. Like, um, I saw a comment today from the Blues, which I thought was, well, not the Blues team, but from a fan, that I thought, wow, that's, that's confident, which was uh, the Blues just finished destroying the Jets and the Stars now they're going to destroy whoever comes out of the series between the Sharks and the Avalanche. And I'm thinking, 13 games is a pretty slow destruction. They were down three games to two against uh, the the Dallas Stars, and they still don't have a 500 record at home in the playoffs. So destruction is probably overstating it a bit, but I'm, I admire the moxie there. Um, and yet, uh, you can find fans who get mad at certain members of the Blues... Bortuzzo comes to mind. People will say Bortuzzo's dirty. But when I look at Robert Bortuzzo, I think, you know, if he wore a Bruins jersey, he would be reviled. He would be so universally reviled because anything he did would go under the microscope. And and it's uh, it, it seems to get louder and louder as the playoffs go along. Now, if Carolina knocks out Boston in the next round, it'll go away until it won't go away. It won't. It just won't. It, it just, it's just, it's one of those things. And the other part that I find interesting, too, is I, I can kind of understand if, if a person has an attitude of, I'm tired of the Bruins winning, except they haven't won anything in, in eight years. <laughs> and that was the first time they'd won it in decades. So they may feel like the team that's always there but that's really not the case. This is the first time they've gone to the conference final since 2013. And two years ago, I was reporting on them missing the playoffs. And and they've missed the playoffs a few times since they won the Stanley Cup in 2011. I think it's three times. I know it's two or three times they've missed the playoffs. So the perception that they're always there, they're always in the mix, so I'm tired of them. It's weird because they're not always in the mix. But I will say this. Chicago drafts early next year whoever they draft kicks into that lineup everything goes great chicago ends up in the mix and chicago ends up in the semifinals next year the conference final right um there'll be people saying that about chicago i'm tired of chicago why can't it be somebody else and and the answer is sometimes there's teams that even in the cap era run really really well there there's some luck to it i i guess again when we start talking about luck and randomness with hockey, I think you're you're diminishing the result. You're diminishing what happened. Last night, for instance, you could look at St. Louis and Dallas. 
And you could say, well, that game seven, I mean, you look at all those saves by Bishop, he still loses. So there's some randomness there. Not really. Not really, because St. Louis was the better team, so the right team won. But in a game seven, anything can happen. It just shows that they're really closely matched. Apparently, uh, the one guy who's really happy about all this, uh, for people who say, oh, you know, I don't like this, the good teams are all out, uh, Gary Bettman is, is overjoyed. Um, he thinks that, and he's right, uh, the more the more of a chance you give every team in the playoffs, the more parity you reveal your league has, the better prepared your league is moving forward to sell its game. Like you sell football right now, you're selling, all right, so there's the Patriots and there's everybody else. Patriots, obnoxious, drives everybody nuts how many times they win the Super Bowl, but whatever. Um, Baseball, all right, here's the big market teams, and here's all the minor league teams that look like major league baseball teams, but they're really kind of feeding the teams that make all the big money. The big money teams will pay the luxury tax so that they can outspend everybody else. And you have certain teams in baseball that will never get ahead, or they might have one good year, and then it all falls apart because they can't afford to pay people, looking at the Kansas City Royals. So hockey can come out and say, you know what, all that stuff you see in the NBA where you've got certain teams that are dynasties and two or three guys can come together and, and create a championship. Yeah, in hockey, we really, you really can't do that. Uh, the big money spending teams don't necessarily win. Small market teams don't necessarily lose. Now, there are exceptions to this. And I've, I've pointed that out in, in videos over the last couple of years where I've said that the salary cap kind of artificially creates the picture of, um, of balance in the league because there are teams like Carolina who are currently where they are, but usually they're out of the playoffs. Arizona almost always out of the playoffs. Florida almost always out of the playoffs. And part of the reason these teams have struggled is because they can't spend money. That is definitely part of their problem, that when guys want big money, they're not going to get it from those teams. Now, if Florida goes out this summer and they spend money on Panarin and they spend money on Bobrovsky, that storyline changes. They probably go back to the playoffs and all of a sudden they have good attendance. Um, so, so there is something to be said for teams that spend the most money have the best chance to win. And, and I guess that's kind of where the Bruins come in. The Bruins are a big money team. They're an original six team. They're a huge money generator. Uh, they, they generate ratings uh, and interest around the league, and people know who they are. People who don't follow the National Hockey League know who they are. And they're right up there with the Leafs. Any original six team. Like, I was going to name them off, but basically if you're original six, you're a big-name team with hockey fans. So, yeah, it's I, I, I get the demonization. But I, I do find it interesting that in this league of, of real parity that that perception is still out there, that there's a favoritism towards Boston, and and yet it hasn't led to more championships. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks won three championships. Did I think the league was playing favorites at times with Chicago? Absolutely. Um, and it's something that since I, since I started the channel and I started watching as much hockey as I do, I've had to kind of shut my mouth on that. Because for any any instance that I could say, oh, the league favors Team X, I could also find a reason, maybe even in that same game, where I would say, actually, no, the league doesn't. So whether it's the fact that Columbus had more power plays than Boston in that last series, and it's not even close, 
to Columbus being more physical than Boston. That wasn't even close. Boston's really kind of a finesse team now, and I, I know people don't believe that. I know people are going to say I'm wrong and I'm lying, but they are. They're a finesse team. There's a lot of skill. There's not as much grit there as people have the impression there is. For instance, and I'll end with this, uh, David Backus, uh, if you've heard he's reinvented himself, uh, he's also been a healthy scratch. So the reinvention has been a, a work in progress, and sometimes it hasn't had the results people might want. So um, while he's physical and he does fight here and there, he also makes a lot of gaffes that sometimes mean he gets pulled out of the lineup and a skill guy goes in there instead. Uh, whether it's Nordstrom, Corrali, whoever, whoever you're rotating in to rotate him out, uh, it's usually a more skilled guy, more of a, a speed guy, and they're young. There's a lot of young players on the Bruins, so for people who... Maybe they're tired of Boston. I, I I hesitate to tell them that Boston's got a lot got, got a lot of good young kids as well. And other than a replacement for Rask, I don't really have any concerns about Boston over the next five to ten years. I think there's a good system in place, and I think Don Sweeney, minus the 2015 draft when he screwed everything up, has done a pretty damn good job. All right, I'm done for now. Thank you guys for listening, for all your attention for being subscribers and all that wonderful stuff, and I'll talk to you again soon.